Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. Did you know that the word Father is used of God only 11 times in the Old Testament? And not as a name, but as one of his titles. In the New Testament, because of the incarnation of God the Son, Jesus Christ, Father is used as God's name 261 times. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. The words of our Lord Jesus Christ as recorded in John 16, verses 23 and 24, our sermon text this morning. We are children of God in Christ Jesus. His Father is our Father. And we can address Him as dear children address their dear Father. Boldly, that is, asking Him for whatever in the name of Christ, and receiving it for his sake. The creator of the entire cosmos, God Almighty, is your daddy. And you can approach him as such, and he will hear you as such. We are right now living in perilous times, when there is, where there is no lack of crying, with needs that daily increase in number and severity, and remind us that we ought to pray more and more and more. The devil, a liar and a murderer, is ever at work. This is what Martin Luther said in his Regate sermon in 1534. And indeed, Christians were living in perilous times during the Reformation. Persecution and martyrdom were very real for those who stood on truth. The Pope, And Muslims, along with other tyrants, Luther says, all opposed God's word. And so Luther rightly reminded the church that there is always enough trouble of this sort to urge us to prayer, even if our private concerns do not drive us to pray, which they most certainly should. There are plenty of causes, he says, to convince us of the importance of prayer. The same can be said today. Nothing has changed. The devil is still at work. Today, the Pope, Muslims, and other tyrants still oppose God's word, the free course of the gospel. And to add more to the devil's lying and murdering to the mix, we also have celebrities and books, neighbors, random weirdos on the internet, and public school teachers corrupting our children telling them in no uncertain terms that it's okay to be sex positive, homosexual, or to castrate themselves chemically or physically in order to appear like they're the opposite sex. This sort of thing is being endorsed not only on a national and state level, but right here in little old Ferndale. Our neighbors support it, and you know they do. Our schools endorse it. 
We have a science room in the high school with the rainbow flag, and we have an English room, last I checked, it's been a few years now, with the same flag flying. Doctors are lined up to administer the needed drugs, the puberty blockers and hormone treatments, and to perform the surgeries that mutilate children's bodies as young as 10 years old. Healthy organs, not even fully developed, removed. And I use the term doctor, of course, loosely. Today, we all know that money isn't as valuable as it used to be, not even just a year ago. It doesn't go as far. Parents are struggling, we hear in the news, to feed their youngest children. Baby formula is hard to get in some places. I haven't been shopping for that in a long while, so I don't know how it is here. But we're hearing it on the news, it's hard to get. Basic provisions are getting harder to acquire. There are entire Christian denominations, mainstream representatives of our Lord Jesus Christ coming in his name, true wolves in sheep's clothing, working to keep the murder of babies legal, and people think it's great. I heard a woman on the news seriously suggest that the baby formula shortage and the inflation issues are arguments for abortion. You know, less mouths to feed. Don't need baby formula if you get rid of the kid. Today, and I get rid of, is putting it very nicely, right? Today, people of all ages are being taught to hate their neighbors based on their race. And we're seeing the sinful hatred sown into their hearts erupting onto our streets, into our communities, in deadly violence. We're burning down our cities in the name of race. We're shooting grocery store patrons because of race. I'll be back in a minute, honey, just going to get some milk. Not anymore. Not in this day and age. Jessica goes to the school or to the, to the store to get milk. Or please bring her home safely. That's the world we live in. People are also being taught that men can have babies, no joke. And that it's impossible to define what it means to be a woman. Again, no joke. People are literally testifying before U.S. Congress saying men can get pregnant. And they're not laughed out of the room. This is serious. We're now supposed to use the term birthing person. Today, the opposition to God's word has expanded from Pope, the Turks, as Luther said it, Muslims, and tyrants to include not just an attack on God's word and the gospel, but attack on language itself. If after 2,000 years, the devil can't get rid of the primacy of God's word in our hearts and in our lives, well, he'll just get rid of communication in general. He will flood linguistics and grammar and make it to where none of us can understand any words, let alone God's word. How are you supposed to know what the good book says when you don't even know the definition of any word? As of this coming Thursday, an elementary school in Virginia, the students there, could face level four sanctions if it passes, the school board passes this this vote, level four sanctions for using biologically correct pronouns, proper grammar 
in a grammar school to describe their peers. And just so you know, level four punishment is reserved for assault and battery, drug use, theft, and arson. The way I heard it put is the kindergartner can burn down the school or call his, his peer by a different pronoun and the same punishment is there. That is crazy. So as Luther said, we are right now living in perilous times when there is no lack of crying with needs that daily increase in number and severity and remind us that we ought to pray all the more. The devil, a liar and a murderer, is still ever at work. There is plenty to pray for, and we haven't even touched on your personal lives. We live in a crazy, perilous time. It's easy to see why Jesus would teach us to pray. But but he doesn't teach us to pray out of desperation. He doesn't teach us to pray as the whooped, as those without hope. What is he saying? Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Given the things I just mentioned, the examples, and I could have found a thousand more, and all the rest of the floaters in the world's pool that we're facing, Christ's goodness and mercy is on full display in this passage. Pray, child, so that you can have joy. We're not supposed to be long-faced, sad, grumbling, miserable people. Why? We believe in Christ the King. What is there to bring us down? Pray that your joy may be full. Our God wants us to have joy. Your God's not a killjoy. He's not a wet blanket. He's not a party pooper. He is the God of the party. He literally turned water into wine to bring the party to life so that it wouldn't end. Unless we'd be tempted to think, what's the point? What's my measly little prayer going to do about all these great and grand issues? Jesus said at the end of the gospel lesson today, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. That's a given. But take heart, I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. Period, the end, drop the mic, full stop, all of that. Jesus has overcome the world and all the sinfulness that fills it. Our Lord wants to answer your prayers. He wants to answer them. He wants you to ask them so that he can answer them. Your Father wants you, to come to him as his child. Don't let the devil convince you otherwise. Don't for a minute think God's holding out on you or he doesn't have time for you or that he doesn't really want to be bothered by your little request. No, sir. No, ma'am. Your father is generous and he gives abundantly and he gives recklessly. He is the sower that just throws out the seed and he's just going to see what happens. He's not stingy with his word. He's not stingy with his gospel. Whatever you ask in the Father's, to the Father in Christ's name, 
he will give it to you that your joy may be full. Have you been disheartened because you pray and it seems that God is not giving you what you ask for? You're not alone. When this thought comes to you, recognize that it is the lying devil trying to get you to quit praying, trying to get you to quit fighting against him and his evil army. Because that's what you're doing with your prayer. You are praying against the devil. You are engaged in combat against evil. Warfare is your name. It is your business. Instead of throwing up your hands and doubting God's word, doubting Jesus' instructions to pray to your father, instead of that, if you're not getting an answer, if it feels like he's not listening to you, reassess your prayer. Trust the word. The problem is not with God and his promise. It's with your prayer. Are you praying in Jesus' name or are you praying in your name? What do I mean by that? Are you praying for the will of the Father to be done? Do you know what that will is so that you can pray for that? Or are you praying for the Father to do your will? Give me what I want, Daddy. But I want to have chocolate for dinner. Give it to me. Why can't I do this? Give it to me. That's the immature, childish, unknowing type of prayer. This is what leads to frustration. When you're, you think your divine dad knows what you're asking for and he won't give it to you, but it's because he knows what's good for you. He knows you don't want, really need that or want that, even though you think you do. He knows that your request is sinful, perhaps, selfish, perhaps, motivated from a position of me first rather than serving neighbor in love, wanting them to have Christ. Paul says he would rather be cut off from the faith, go to hell in the place of all the Jews than see them go, go astray. His prayer is for the, them to be saved, even if it means he is lost. Is that how you're praying? Are you praying to your father as a child that is only able to approach him through Jesus, his son? A believer who lives breathes, and prays as a bearer of Christ's name. Making prayerful requests in the name of Jesus, that is asking for dad to answer you because you told him that's what Jesus said to ask for. That's what we're doing in Jesus' name. Hey, hey, dad, my brother said that this is okay. Would you do this for me? And he's going, I know him. That's not, that's not okay. And I have two kids. I know how this works. If, you have, if you've ever had two, at least two children, you know how they can play each other, you know, play you against them. But dad, so-and-so said, I guess even one kid can do this, right? Mom said, dad, dad, mom said, mom, dad said, right? We do this all the time. God the Father says, I'm not so easily duped. He knows when you're praying for what you want rather than what he wants rather than what Christ wants. The former type of prayer is met with a yes, you got it, son. That's what Jesus wants. Here you go. Glad to do it. The latter is a selfish prayer that receives a healthy, no, not at this time, probably not ever. Come back again with a better request. 
a Christian request. Go to your Bible, go to the Word, and come back for your own good. Christian prayer, is, it is to say, is never ineffective. In Luther's sermon on this text back in 1534, he said, May each Christian say to himself, Since prayer is so pleasing to God and so highly essential and beneficial for me as a person and also for the church, I'm going to attend church and pray as fervently as I can. For I am confident that prayer is not nor ever can be in vain. We should have that sort of confidence in our prayers. How can it be? How could our prayers be in vain if John 16.33 is true? What is John 16.33? Christ has overcome the world. None of your Christian prayers then can be in vain. In one sense, in the out-of-time sense, they've already been answered on the cross. And so, given this wonderful, wonderful gospel truth, I want to end with this last quote from Luther's sermon with the hope that the devil himself will hear it and learn just whose children he's fighting against here at St. Mark's Lutheran Church and so that we who are those children will be encouraged by the reality of who we are and we will pray. When you pray as the Lord has taught us when you pray as a child of the Father in Christ's name, Luther rightly says that you are praying that the name of the devil be reviled, that the devil's kingdom be overthrown, and the devil's will and designs be repulsed. When you do this, then you and every Christian are like warriors on the field of battle with weapons drawn, helping to guard and protect the Christian church against the devil and the world. For every Christian is a soldier who is engaged in battle with the devil. Luther says, as firmly as other pastors and I do battle through our preaching and our teaching, so firmly ought you contend with us by your prayers. This is how we must contend and fight at every turn, he says. For we Christians are mighty warriors, some of us preaching and also some of us praying. These two, diligently preaching and earnestly praying, pierce the devil's heart. If he is to be defeated and overthrown here and now, it must be done by these two weapons. For the one who rules in heaven does not lie. Dear children of God, remember that Christ has overcome the world. Remember that. He did so on the cross. And in him, we do indeed have peace. Though still in this world, we will also know tribulation. Take heart, our Lord says. I have overcome the world. Praise be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.